I'm ready. All right. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to another week of the Two Guys on Politics podcast with uh, me, Brian Broking. I'm Bill Lipinski. And I'm Ray Hanania. And uh, we got an interesting program today. We got each of us bring something to the table and we kind of tear it apart. We rip it to pieces. We shred, we're like a shredder. So let's start with yours, Brian. Tell us what it is and let's start <clears throat> shredding. So, so I, I kind of want to talk this week a, a little bit about uh, the free market approach to uh, the American defense, which was kind of brought up this week as, as a few articles started circulating on the Silicon Valley Trump supporter, Palmer Lucky. Uh, he was the founder of Oculus, which are the VR headsets. Um, and then that sold to Facebook, he used that money uh, to start Andr- Andril, um, which is a uh, defense contractor. But it, it works in a different way from a lot of the way government policy works right now, where, you know, the DOD will go to someone like Lockheed Martin and say, you know, we want X. They'll come up with a plan. Then they'll tell the government to give them money to do it. They'll go through that whole process. It'll cost millions and millions of dollars. It'll cost, you know, seven times the amount to actually get the product out there. There's no incentives aligned. Lucky is kind of trying to turn that on its head. They've built everything with investor money before the government even sees it. They built drones, surveillance towers, all these sorts of things. And it's, it's even been said that they're using some of this technology currently in the Ukraine to fight against Russia. So the kind of idea here is we have a, a 21st century battle for supremacy in the military. And his main designation is that we're falling behind countries like China and Russia, specifically China, in the way we defend ourselves. So this, um, it, it concerns some people because the way they do a lot of this is based on artificial intelligence and other technologies like that. And a lot of people say, you know, ethically, you should keep that out of war. But he'll argue, you know, we're already behind China here. And Really, what we need to do is be ahead of China because absolute supreme power is what kept the world stable for the past 80 years and what will keep it stable for the next 80. It, it seems like they're using a lot of that type of technology in, uh, the, in the Russian war in Ukraine. Uh, these drones that, you know, they're controlling. But I, I looked at that Oculus headset, you know, for my son and I, we wanted to buy it, but it's not at the level where it actually is good enough to be owned yet for the amount of money they want to charge. So we decided not to get into it. So I'm hoping it gets better because the idea of doing that, they've been talking about that, that uh, headset that you put in front of your face and you kind of, you see it on TV, right? Mm -hmm. But I haven't really seen a good version of it that uh, actually works to my satisfaction. I I want to disagree with you there for a moment, right? Because uh, Brian has that and he brought it over one day uh, for uh, my wife and I to see, and I was very, very impressed with it. Uh, I, uh, I really, uh, when I put it on and saw what I saw, I really couldn't believe it. And I frankly was a little afraid to move around for fear I might fall off the mountain that he had me on looking at this stuff. So, All right, well, that's, and, and was it, do you put yourself, is this one where you put your cell phone into it? No, so or, this is actually... So Lucky, when he sold Oculus, he sold to Facebook. 
And Facebook has kind of adapted it into this product called the Quest, the Oculus Quest, which is an all-in-one. You don't need a phone. You don't need a computer anymore. It is just the headset. All the technology is in the headset now for a little under $300. Oh, that's not bad. Usually everything from Apple is like a thousand. With no, all this the is memory a, and a cheap, so. cheaper con consumer yeah. product. When $300 is considered cheap, okay, that tells you where we are in the world. Well, we're, we're hitting $5 gas for the first time. So, so you, you think this, more. so Brian, you think this is actually moving out and becoming part of, you know, not just the game and entertainment, but, you know, in terms of us competing, you know, with in the, in the world with Russia and China and, you know, a lot of the countries that hate us, which seems exactly, to be growing. Yeah. I think there's a, a, incorrect idea that the next war is going to be fought with troops. It's not going to be fought with troops. It's going to be fought with technology because it's, it's hard to send, you know, 18 to 22 year olds, you know, to go fight somewhere across halfway across the globe. Wars are going to be fought in cyberspace. Wars are going to be fought with drones and different mechanical AI derived objects. So the idea is we base our military on what one wars World war two, you know, what we fought in Vietnam, different things like that. And we need to think about a 21st century approach to war and fight it from that angle. And that's what Andrew does. All right. We're always planning on fighting the next war with the technology and the tactics from the previous war. And this would break that cycle, which would be very good. Now, has Lucky actually sold anything to the American Defense Department? I believe he's got a couple contracts sold. Specifically, one I know is actually in 2020, the border security um, on the southern border, uh, Border Patrol bought thousands of dollars worth of completely, you know, individual, basically beacons that they could put up across the southern border along the U.S.-Mexico border. And you could monitor basically traffic coming across of the entire border from an Oculus Rift, basically. So you could put on a headset and basically monitor any planes, trains, automobiles, people coming across the border, the entire stretch that they occupied. You know, just a quick aside, we have to do a program one of these days on that Southern border because there are more and more immigrants coming in every day. Uh, we do nothing but hand them a piece of paper and say, here, report welcome. to this address with this guy you know, in two months, and we'll let you know if you can stay or not. You know how many people show up out of that? Two out of 10. We got to do a program in the future. I don't think well, they've that, deployed this on the border yet, have they? Well, they've, they've started to deploy it, but it's not, it doesn't cover the entire basis yet. And it's, it's an interesting, you know, argument. And a lot of Silicon Valley and tech companies are actually very against working with border control, ICE, etc. There were protests at Google, Amazon, Palantir over the past couple of years of them basically getting tied to the kids in cages argument from, from the past administration. So cages Obama put up. Yeah. Yeah. Those ones. Uh, so the, the general idea is lucky says, you know, it doesn't matter what the immigration policy is of this country. You should be able to know whether you're going to let them in or not, who's coming across the border. And that's something I think most people should be able to get behind. And that's why I think he'll have a lot of success in the future. Yeah. And, mo and the issue uh, from my standpoint, and I think from 
a lot of our standpoints is that who's coming across has always been the problem. Even, you know, uh, uh, being Arab, you know, I understood this whole issue of Trump's so-called Muslim ban. You know, there are 50 Muslim countries. He targeted six that were the most dysfunctional out of all the Arab countries that happen to be majority Muslim. And he said, I don't want to let them in until we can figure out who is coming in because those countries have no security. There's, so we could be bringing in the worst of those countries to hurt us. Um, and that became a political fight then. It said, oh, he's banning Muslims. He didn't ban Muslims. Muslims were still coming into this country. Arabs were coming into this country legally, good you know, people, Muslims with good backgrounds. But he wanted to, like from Syria that has been in total disarray, he wanted to stop those people from coming through without being vetted. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's just the bias in the media or Trump's inability to tell what he really is trying to do before he becomes in a, uh, engaging in a petty fight with a reporter that says, you're too fat. And then pretty soon we lose complete control of what the focus is. Well, I think the, the core thing to come out of that is we, we've lived in an era of unprecedented peace in this country for really the past 80 years, but specifically the past 15 it's been a very, very stable crime has gone down since the 90s. You know, it's been a stable country. We've just accepted that as the normal. And that's something that needs to be fought for constantly. We can't, you know, regress. So maybe that takes us actually on to our next topic. Um, Which the is the recall of Chesa Boudin. In San Francisco, right? The district attorney. Bill, what, what was that about, Bill? I saw some headlines about it. No. People saying they wanted to do the same thing in Cook County with uh, Kim Fox. So what happened in San Francisco? The district attorney in San Francisco was an extremely liberal individual. In fact, he was really the poster boy for progressive Democrats as far as in the legal professor profession. He was uh, financed primarily by George Soros. I think we all know who George Soros is. The guy that got John Cass fired from his job at the yes, Chicago yes, Tribune yes. because nobody knew he was Jewish. They thought he was Greek. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought he was Greek. I uh, did too. Getting, getting back to San Francisco, if I may, uh, he was very liberal. Uh, San Francisco, probably the most liberal city you know, in the country and certainly the most liberal state in the nation. Uh, decided that they couldn't take this guy as a district attorney any longer for the things that he was doing. Really, he was on the side of the criminals rather than on the side of the victims. They decided to recall him. Now, this recall actually was led by Asian businessmen in San Francisco who no longer could take their neighborhood, their businesses being ransacked by individuals, criminals, and nothing being done about it. So they originally started several months ago by removing three individuals from the San Francisco uh, Board of Education who were much more interested in taking names off of schools rather than getting students back into the schools. I mean, they removed from schools in San Francisco, George Washington. I was gonna guess. Unbelievable, incredible. 
So these same Asians who were being discriminated in the school system in San Francisco got together, they moved and they removed these three people from the Board of Education. Their next target was this individual here. They led the fight to remove him. Now, I think it is a great step forward for the progressive Democrats losing power within the Democratic Party, and maybe the Democratic Party now can focus more on their moderates or conservatives if they have any conservatives left. Now, there are several other district attorneys very similar to this guy's background, uh, such as we have here in Chicago, but they have them in New York, they have them in Philadelphia, I think they have them in St. Louis, but I think this is a great step forward, not only for the Democratic Party, but for America. And if you read my column next week, I will go into great detail pertaining to this guy. And I, I won't surrender the word progressive to the progressives. Okay. They claim that word and I don't think they deserve it because I don't think what they represent is progressive. I think they're far left wing, just like that they're a far right wing who I don't consider anti-progressive at all. That these extremists on both sides label themselves in a in a populist manner to make themselves sound good. Um, and some good people end up joining them. Um, but I, I don't think, I, I hate to call them progressives. Well, what would you like you to know, call them, Ray, just so we're on the far, same way? Far left-wing fanatics. Left, leftists. leftists. Even leftists. I mean, you know, that's too mild. Left-wing extremists <laughs> is what I would like to call them. But can well, they I, do, the, go ahead. No, okay, can you can. Well, Bill, I was going to say, can they do that, do you think? Is there a chance they could do that in Cook County? Well, because there are a lot of people well, that not are at, upset. Not at the present time. There is not a suffi sufficient uh, group of individuals who are really that strongly against uh, Fox. Uh, maybe in two years there will be, but certainly not at the present time. And we don't have a recall in Illinois. I was going to ask, is there a mechanism for a recall like that? No, no not, not here in Illinois. And I'm not necessarily a supporter of a recall leader, to be perfectly frank with you. Right. I think once you elect someone for two years or four years or six years, yeah. they should have the opportunity to serve that time. But San Francisco, I think, is a real milestone. I want to just go back for a moment to what Brian was talking about. In my experience in Congress for 22 years, the greatest waste in government was in the Defense Department. These defense contractors make huge amounts of money off of programs, you know, that the taxpayers in this country are the ones who pay for. I think if Palmer Lucky's, you know, situation can really catch on, it will save this country enormous amounts of money. I go back to San Francisco or wherever you fellows would like to go. Well, I think All the right. first thing to to tackle with San Francisco is you, you say, you know, maybe this is a wake up call for the, the Democratic Party. I, I think there's there's two interesting pieces to that. First is it was labeled as a Republican recall um, by Chesa Boudin and his allies. And, you know, the 40 percent of people who did vote to keep him. That wasn't true from the start. It was clearly a, a group of moderate Democrats that actually began fighting for this. There was a huge swell of, you know, tech entrepreneurs and people involved in tech that consider themselves Democrats that were so unbelievably against Chesa Boudin's policies that they started fighting for this. But two, 
you can actually see the breakdown of the kind of precincts and the different pieces of the city that voted yes or no. And if you actually look at it, the highest portions of yes, remove Houdin were in the minority districts. They were in the Asian communities, the Hispanic communities. The lowest percent were in the white rich communities that weren't affected by this. And I think that's a, a telling, you know, kind of designation of, you know, they're up in their ivory tower looking down on the world, saying the way it should be while they have armed security guards fully, you know, stocked. Exactly. So it's, it's this kind of assumption that everywhere in the world is like the way they are and just assuming everything will be okay without actually fighting for it. This, uh, uh, the, it's amazing what the Asian community in the last year has done in San Francisco. It's been a community that's been in San Francisco, you know, for generation after generation after generation, but they have not really become involved in politics or in activism in any way, shape or form until very, very recently. And I believe the reason for it is because of the frankly discrimination that universities are now putting forth against Asians in California because the Asians score so very, very well on entrance exams. They're taking up so many of these places in the elite universities. And that's why the Asians have woken up that they better start defending their own position. That's the, the argument against meritocracy, right? They're, they're trying to remove that. Yes. And that hurts that community most of all, given the, the breakdown. Well, it would be nice if we could do something like that in Chicago, where it's really needed. Uh, we have a state's attorney that uh, uh, it, it runs in Cook County, Chicago and the suburbs. Yeah. And yet the suburbs have never really asserted themselves fully. You know, the suburban vote is always far lower than the Chicago vote. Um, and I think that's a remnant of uh, I'd like to compare it to the way the Soviet Union became Russia and now a Putin uh, machine. Chicago had a great machine at one time. It was so successful. And now that machine has been taken over by some of the people that were uh, part of it and claim to be victims of it. And they're using that structure now to dominate the entire county. And uh, it's, it's uh, turned against us, I think. Well said, well said. Did you defend the Democratic organization like that when you were a columnist for the uh, uh, Chicago Sun-Times? I skewered everybody. Oh, okay. Because a reporter's main goal is to get a headline. Okay. I thought their main job was to print the truth. Truth? They're, listen, now I'm an opinion columnist, and truth is it's facts the way I see it. You want to believe me? Great. You don't want to believe me? You don't have to. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on. We're getting into dangerous territory here. Okay. All right. What's next? I think our last topic is... Uh, how we're going to spend this next uh, few weeks watching TV in the evening. You know, are we going to see an extension of Jimmy Kimmel and uh, these uh, crazy programs that are late night that all they do is bash Trump and the conservatives and the right and promote these progressive agendas. Um, now that the Democrats are going to launch a uh, uh, nighttime version of the Watergate hearings, uh, which I remember watching as a kid during the day, um, now they're going to do the insurrection investigation uh, in the evenings uh, during my prime time. 
I agree with what you're saying, Ray, but please don't equate what's going to go on tonight with the Watergate. No, uh, it's not. It, it's not at all. Watergate, that was a real hearing by the United States Senate. This here is a show going to be put on by a producer, I believe, from ABC. Yeah, I listen, I agree with you. What I'm, I'm not saying the substance is the same. Uh, I think this insurrection is really a bunch of political BS that uh, insecure Democrats are using in the hopes, just the way they leaked the Roe versus Wade, uh, you know, uh, early uh, uh, decision um, to influence the vote to try to save them from losing control of the House and the Senate. So they're going to turn this into a reality show, uh, hoping that people are going to watch it, uh, hoping that people will be outraged. Um, but the truth is that I, I don't think that there's any real substance to these charges about an insurrection. 800 people have been charged um, with various acts of vandalism and, you know, violence and destruction, you know, from that January 6th uh, protest. But there were 200,000 people, you know, that uh, that that were there that did, you know, were protesting uh, properly and legally. So I, I think it and, and I'm sh sorry, I think I, I didn't mean to say 800,000 have been charged. Um, I think that number, they, I think the number said, of- You only said 800. 800 people, right, yeah. 800 people were charged. And there were so many more people that protested the way the Constitution says Americans can protest. Freedom of speech. If I don't like the government, I can go to the street and I can scream and yell and say that I don't like what they've done. But somehow they've turned that uh, into uh, an indictment of- you know, that we've done something wrong because we don't agree with what a group of people insist is what's happening in this country. And it's wrong. So they use those 800 people and say that those 800 reflect everybody. But I don't think they do. I don't think they do either. But unfortunately, those 800 really damaged the cause of the 200,000 people that were there at that rally. Well, I mean, that's the same argument as the post-Floyd, George Floyd protest. Those 800 people that have been charged and convicted, they deserve to be charged. They right. deserve to be convicted. I'm not defending them, but the, the spinners on the far left wanted to want to make people think that by defending the other people who are protesting, somehow we were defending this violence. And that's not the case at all. It's all to get Donald Trump. That's what it is. It's all to get Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm not a big Trump defender anymore. Uh, I think Trump was his worst enemy. I think that he had a tendency to get into these petty little arguments um, instead of looking at the big picture. He's, he had some great ideas, uh, but he couldn't stop himself from fighting with people personally and petty little arguments, calling women and people some of the dumbest things I've ever heard come out of a politician's mouth. Um, and I think he ruined it for himself and made him an easy target. But I and the Democrats are smart enough to look at him and say, that guy's an easy target. We're going to use his stupidity, uh, forget about his great ideas, and we're going to try to undermine him that way. And undermine the Republican Party, Brian? Uh, I guess a, a couple of things. I, I think the the narrative changes. Um based on the, the supposed insurrection and the 
fact that Trump lost, but Trump barely lost. He lost well lower than the margin of error that people expected. Um, it, it was a close election. He could come back and run again in two years. I, I think the this is clearly a you know organized political act to try and get you know some seats back in the House in this coming election. But second, I think it's. It's this interesting change in the way politics is working in, in America. Specifically, I, I saw a, a poll earlier this week um, from, it was polling both older and younger Democrats and Republicans. And the question was, is it ever okay to assassinate a political enemy? And both old Republicans and old Democrats, this being, you know, 60 plus overwhelmingly said, no, it never is okay. Whereas about a third of young Democrats and Republicans being, you know, millennials down would say, yes, there are scenarios where it's okay to assassinate a political opponent. And I think that's the concerning piece. And I think that's what we're playing into here is they're basically trying to, you know, drum up all this, all these problems for Trump where, you know, Maybe something happens, you know, keep, keep this in the news. They want to win votes. They don't want to win, you know, ideas. I, I think it's going to backfire on, on the Democrats because um, I don't think they realize how many people, they're not as vocal as we are when they talk about Trump and this politics or defending the protesters who had a right to protest. But I think deep down, most people see this as a threat from the far left. And they're going to dominate this whole week that during the evening time when people go home and relax to want to watch TV, we're going to be subjected to this political BS. Um, I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to find something else to do. And I think a lot of people may we, we have no choice because the media is going to dominate it and cover it. But I don't think they're going to get the sympathy that uh, that they expect or think that they're going to get yeah we'll we'll definitely have to see the polling data Uh, we'll we'll have to compare it you know the past couple weeks to the weeks i lie when listen when someone calls me up to poll me i lie about everything i don't tell them the truth they and i figure why not why be honest with them i'm not going to tell them they call that the trump effect right no that that i've been doing it long before trump (laughs) and i think people have been doing it we only acknowledged it since trump but this is going on long before. You can't trust polls. Well, see, I, I think that Donald Trump is a, uh, an individual who the vast majority of Americans today think of in a negative way. I believe the strategy of the Democrats is to try to hook up Donald Trump as much as possible with the Republican Party and Republican candidates. And they're going to try to use that to their political advantage. And I don't really see the Republican Party today being that close, that tied up with Donald Trump at all. But that's not what the Democrats want you to believe. And I believe tonight they're gonna have a program, a show trying to do exactly that. But you should watch, Ray, because it's always important to know your enemy. I already know the enemy, lies. And uh, Liz Cheney, in my book, is one of the worst people in this country. 
and uh, starting with her father, who I consider to be the Antichrist, although I really think that's unfair to the Antichrist. Um, and I think Liz Cheney should answer to her what her father did rather than sitting on this soapbox attacking uh, Donald Trump and accusing him of an insurrection when she did nothing when his father rampaged and killed hundreds of thousands of civilians in Iraq for no reason. Well, did they fight those weapons of mass destruction? No, but they may one day, probably in another country. Uh, yeah, they were never there. But what a good PR spin that was to get our soldiers to go to Iraq. I, I agree. I voted against it. I want you to know I definitely voted against it. I voted to go to Afghanistan, but not- Absolutely. And that and those were the right votes, Bill. What you did, I think, were the right thing to do. But uh, unfortunately, that the right thing to do doesn't always coincide with uh, parallel our politics in this country. No, so are you going to you're going to watch the hearings uh, this week? I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm going to take notes because you'll be hearing about it probably on next week's program. If I can get more time than 10 minutes that the producer and my co-host uh, allow me. I'll be talking about it. I may even do a column about it. Uh, we'll see uh, how it goes, but I'm expecting it to be a complete con job in behalf of the Democratic Party. And I agree with you. I, I think that's all it's going to be. I, I read Trump's speeches. I, I, I heard what he said. At no time did he ever say, go out and take over the government and let's replace it. Um, he was upset with the election. I think he had a right to be. And I didn't agree with him necessarily. But he had a right to that opinion. And this idea that nobody steals votes, I've never heard of that. This new concept that the Democrats are pushing. Votes aren't being stolen. Who would say that? Come to Chicago, people. I have nothing to say on that matter. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Brian, on our agenda? No, I, I think that's a, a good way to wrap it up. <laughs> All right. So I, I think that's that's all for us this week. Uh, I'm Brian Brookie. I'm Bill Lipinski, and I hope Lucky gets lucky and sells a lot of things to the U.S. government that'll save us a lot of money. And and I'm Ray Hanania, and I love technology, so I hope he does get lucky because I've always wanted to use one of those things. I may go back and revisit it. Thanks, guys. All right, hold on just one second. That's live streaming.